chapter 13. Let me turn, I told, let me turn this on. Okay, second mistake I've made this morning, didn't turn my microphone on, but it ought to come on now. Take it just a second, Aiden. Um, I'll tell you the first mistake I made. See, Brother Steve already knows the first mistake I made. Turned around to Brother Steve Taylor down here this morning. I said, you going to do the opening prayer? He said, yeah. I didn't call on the opening prayer this morning. Hope you all prayed. Hope you'll pray right now. <laughs> so they might not leave me here by myself again anytime soon. I don't know. Matthew chapter 13. See if we can do the rest of this. And uh, I tell you, uh, I was talking about a minute ago, uh, God can use your gift, your talent uh, to, for, for his kingdom and things you might not realize. And I just want to call to attention some folks that are usually in the background. And uh, I referenced Aiden just saying, go about my microphone. And, and uh, Aiden and Cody are up there every week. Uh, Trenton uh, fills in up there with us sometimes. And, and uh, Hunter's been up there in the past. And, you know, one of the a very important uh, part of the ministry on a Sunday morning happens right up there in that booth that nobody sees, and uh, I hope you don't hear them, and uh, if you do, we need to have a talking with them, you know, we'll cut their pay or something, but, uh, you know, I'm thankful for those guys and what they do, because hearing is a very important part of being here, right? What's the point of being here if you can't hear what's going on? I'm thankful we've got the assisted listening devices now, and if y'all just say, if you didn't know we had those, if you do have if you do struggle to hear during the service, let us know. We can get you one of those, and you can set your own volume. You can do all of those uh, types of things so that you can hear what's going on uh, in the preaching and in the singing and all of that. We want you to be able to hear because hearing is very important. Uh, it's very, you know, a part of what we do. I remember when I was uh, much younger. I don't know how old I was. I would. You know, my mother's over here. I'm glad she's filling on the piano while Nancy's out. She could probably tell us closer to when this happened. But I remember going when I was a little boy to have my hearing checked. You know, apparently my mother didn't think I could hear. Because apparently she was saying things that I wasn't picking up on. So I remember going to the audiologist. I rem- you know, it's only these little memories you have from childhood. Put you in the little uh, booth there and put the headphones on me, and, and uh, this audiologist in particular happened to be my grandparents across the fence, backyard neighbor, uh, you know, but went to this audiologist, and, you know, they go through the test. She talks to me, you know, and I'm in this soundproof box talking to me through the headphones. She's turning the volume up, turning the volume down, talking in one ear and then the other, and come out of the box, and, you know, the diagnosis was grim. I had what she called selective hearing. You probably know somebody with selective hearing. Don't point if they're in the building. Some of them are not, they don't necessarily have to be children. But there was nothing wrong with my ears. I did a little Google search this week. What is selective hearing? And did you know there's a definition? Boy, did I start feeling better about myself. Selective hearing refers to when a person appears to only hear what's important to them. It has nothing to do with hearing acuity. Instead, it happens due to the way the brain processes sounds. In children, when too many sound sources bombard the brain, the brain reacts by tuning out what seems less important. So in my defense, 
and in your husband's defense, ladies. It's not our fault. It's our brain, okay? God created our brain. No, I'm not going to blame all that on God. But anyway, but truth be told, we all have selective hearing at times, right? We've probably all been in that conversation when we appear, we're trying all we can do to appear to be engaged, and we walk away, and somebody says, what were y'all talking about? And you say, I don't have a clue, right? You may be that way with your spouse sometime or somebody else. I'm never that way with my spouse. I listen to every word she has to say. I bought some new earbuds. They were noise-canceling, and I said, I can't hear you. She said, what are you talking? You call me noise? No. Anyway. But this morning, we're going to look at a familiar passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 13. It's a parable of Jesus. It's one, no doubt, you've heard before, you've read before, you've heard preached on before if you've been in church very much. And if you're reading the Bible with us in our Through the Bible in a Year reading plan there on the Bible app, you can still sign up if you want to. Uh, and you can, It won't take you long to catch up with where we're at, but... We'll get to this text in early October. I skipped ahead and looked just because I want to tell you, you know, you'll read this again if you stick with the Bible plan. If you can get through Leviticus and then we get on over, you know, through the rest of the Old, you're in the Old Testament most of the year, you know. The New Testament goes by pretty quick. We'll get to this over in October, but we're going to read a pretty big chunk of text this morning. And then we're going to focus in on one phrase, but really I want to take it down even smaller to just one word, and uh, that word is the word here, H-E-A-R, here. We're going to look at that in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Matthew says, on the same day Jesus went out of, of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places, where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them... It has not been given. For whoever has, more uh, to him more will be given, and he, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in, and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing, you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing, you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, 
and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and do not see it, and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you again that you allow us to be here in your house this morning. I pray that you would bless the reading of your word. I pray that your word would be sown in our hearts today, that we would even right now, we would seek forgiveness of sin in our life that may stand between us and receiving your word. I pray that your word would would be implanted in our hearts, that it would grow and that it would produce fruit. I pray that we would leave here this morning changed, having received your word. Speak to us now. Give me the words that you'd have me to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. As we consider what's going on here in the, in the story and Jesus telling this parable, you know, we've got to realize, as he says here in uh, verse 1, that, or I'm sorry, in verse 2, that there's a big crowd. As a matter of fact, in my translation here, the New King James Version, verse 2 says, great multitudes with an S were gathered. Now, multitudes, a lot of people. Matthew says great multitudes with an S. There's a lot of people sitting here listening to Jesus speak. And so, of course, he tells us, we're not going to get into to, to a lot of these details. We're going to focus in a little bit on specific things Jesus said. But he says he got into a boat. you got to picture here the, the hillside. Most scholars would say that where Jesus was uh, sitting on the sea, you know, there at the sea, that the land would come down to the sea and it'd create kind of like a hillside. And the great multitudes there on the hillside, and probably they're pressing Jesus so much that he's just got the water behind him and the people in front of him, and so he gets into the boat, pushes out just a little bit. He didn't have a microphone on that he could hang on his ear like this fancy one that I've got here or one on the pulpit, or he didn't have Cody and Aiden sitting up in the booth adjusting his volume so everybody could hear. But because of the topography of the the landscape, because of the water there, his voice would hit that and echo and, and carry up through the crowd. And so Jesus is talking to this big group, and it says he speaks in parables. Now, 
you may understand what a parable is. Maybe you don't understand what a parable is. But a parable is simply a short story that uses something people would understand to explain something they might not understand. And it says, as Jesus began to speak, he says, Behold, a sower went out to sow. Now, if you don't understand what he's talking about, you know, you might first think he's talking about somebody with a needle and thread. That's not the type of sowing we're talking about, right? We're talking about a guy going out and planting his field, distributing seed in his field. They would have understood that immediately for a couple of reasons. Number one, it was an agrarian economy. They all understood the concept of sowing and reaping, which is a huge biblical concept. They understood it in the, the agrarian uh, nature uh, instantly. But that first word Jesus, is, Jesus uses, behold. He says, behold, a sower went out to sow. Now that word behold translates to another English word, look. So a lot of scholars believe as Jesus is sitting there in this boat to teach, and he's got the crowd out around him, he may could have seen out in the distance a sower in his field distributing seed. And he says, look, a sower went out to sow. And he uses that illustration to describe to people how the Word of God gets in our lives. Because if we were to look at Luke's version of this parable, Jesus says the seed is the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. So as we look at this story this morning, and we're not going to get too in-depth about the different types of soil and all that sort of thing. That's not the point of the sermon this morning. What we're talking about is how the Word of God gets from here to here, or from here to here. He who has ears to hear, Jesus says, let him hear. That's how Jesus ended this parable. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, by my count, I went through this, and I had to go through it several times because every time I went through it, I was coming up with a different number. And so I went through and literally underlined in my Bible every time it said that. And I went back and counted after that because I kept, you know, I mean, come on, I went to Louisville's for school. I can only count so high. Six. I say, what did I write down? 16 times. 16 times the word hear appears in these 23 verses. 16 times. Now, every word in Scripture is important. Every word in Scripture we ought to pay attention to. But when I start seeing a word like hear or when I say 16 times hear or hearing, I combine them for 16 times. When I start seeing a word repeated with that kind of frequency, I start to pay even closer attention. What does this mean? So I took the opportunity to look up this word here. It comes from a Greek word, akuo, which in its most basic form, well, it means to hear. It's the verb to hear. But see, in this instance, if we were to look at the original Greek that Matthew wrote, Matthew doesn't use that Greek verb in its most basic form. He uses it. You'll need this on your next trivia night. He, he uses it in what's called the present imperative form. That means as much to you as it meant to me when I read that. I didn't know what that meant, the present imperative form. So if you take this verb in the verb form that Matthew used it, here's what it means. 
to pay special attention. Phrased another way, to hear with the goal of understanding. So Jesus tells this story, he tells this parable, and he looks out at the crowd and he says, if you have the ability to understand that, understand it. Boy, that's a challenge. That's the challenge to us today as we come to the first major point that I want to look at this morning, what Jesus is saying. We should approach the Word of God with a desire to understand it. Now, of course, this is on my mind a lot right now because we're doing this uh, Bible reading plan. A lot of you are asking great questions, and I hope you keep that up. But, you know, a challenge as we read this parable would say, as we read the Bible every day, whether you're doing the Bible plan with us or whether you're reading the Bible on your own, doing your own thing, hey, just as long as you're reading the Bible, but are you approaching the Word of God just to say, let me get this out of the way for today. How quick can I speed read through this? Or are you reading it with a desire to understand what it says? Now, sometimes, like when we get to those, what was it, yesterday, day before, sometime, all the reading we had on that Bible plane was genealogies, <laughs> you know? I mean, it's like somebody asked, why is this important, you know? But are we reading the Scripture trying to understand it? The problem with this group, and maybe the problem with us a lot of times, they didn't understand it. Jesus tells this parable and It's all kind of lost on them. How do we know that? Because we come to verse 10, and it says that the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak in parables? And he answered and said to them, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it's not been given. And you say, well, maybe they understood it. They just didn't know why he was teaching it. No, if we look at, I think, I don't remember if it was in Luke or in Mark's account. Uh, Mark and Luke also tell this, uh, record Jesus telling this parable. Uh, but one of the other uh, synoptic gospels uh, says that the disciples came and they asked Jesus to explain the parable. Even the disciples, Jesus' closest, closest, closest followers didn't understand what Jesus was saying. And he says here, uh, like we just read it in in verse 11, because it's been given to you, talking about his followers, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not been given. There's an interesting word there, mysteries. I hear the word mysteries. I immediately see a man coming out of the shadows in his trench coat and hat with unsolved mysteries. You know the guy I'm talking about? I don't have a clue what his name is. I looked it up, but then I forgot it. didn't put it in my notes. But you see that guy, you're the narrator of the Unsolved Mysteries show. Maybe you think about something like UFOs or something else that doesn't really matter. But, but mysteries, that's what we think about. But that's not what a mystery is in Scripture. When we see that word mysteries in Scripture, a mystery is something that was previously hidden, but now it's been revealed. It's previously hidden, but now it's been revealed. And Jesus said it's specifically revealed to his followers. Now, the disciples would have understood exactly what Jesus meant by mysteries. 
because in this day, there were a lot of what was what we would call and what scholars call mystery religions, all right? And one of the big things the mystery religions did, they put on these uh, what some would call passion plays, these big theatrical performances. Of course, you had the Greek theaters and all of that, and they would put on these great performances, and anybody could go. But most of the time, you'd be like I have been sometimes, and you're just like, I really don't know what I just watched, but, you know, there it was. There was the play, you know. We, we went up to the art museum in northwest Arkansas back last year, and they had some neat pictures on the wall, but I don't understand. I just don't get why people, I mean, it's just a picture hanging on the wall to me, you know. I mean, that's the, maybe you enjoy that sort of thing. They're beautiful pictures, but anyway, I didn't understand it. Uh, these people in that day, they'd go to these plays and they'd say, I really don't understand that play. But if you wanted to join the false religion, what you'd do is you'd go and you'd study up for months and months and months. They'd teach you all the intricate details of the meanings behind the things happening in the play. And then when you finally had it all studied up, you'd go watch the play and their goal was that you would be moved beyond emotion to worship that false god represented by the play, represented in this mystery religion. Because, see, now you were an insider. And now you understood the things they said and the things they did in the play that didn't make sense to you before. You needed to be pretty sophisticated, have a pretty sophisticated intellect to understand a lot of the things presented in the mystery religions. But you know, that just stands in stark contrast to what Jesus said in Luke 18, 17 about Christianity. Uh, Jesus says there in Luke 18, 17, Assuredly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, how? As a little child. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. Jesus says, you've got to have the faith of a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. You don't have to have some superior intellect. You don't have to be able to understand the mysteries and all of these things to get in. you just got to have the faith of a child. But he tells the disciples, once you're in, there's a whole lot more to be revealed. I know what you're thinking. At least I know what I'd be thinking. I know what I do think a lot of times. I'm saved. I'm on the inside. There's a lot of stuff in here that I don't understand. Let me tell you, y'all asking some questions. And you might go read my response and think, boy, that preacher's smart. Or you may think he's not by reading my responses. I have to spend a lot of time studying up, looking up those answers to those questions y'all are answering on that Bible app. There's a lot of times I read this and say, I don't understand that. And so you got to dig a little deeper. You're in good company. I'm in good company because the disciples didn't understand this either. As we said, they asked Jesus to explain it. But you know what? There's always an explanation. Now follow me here for a minute. Sometimes the explanation is we don't understand it because God didn't reveal it. Brother Eric talked last week, he referenced 
uh, that verse in Deuteronomy that says the secret things belong to God, and they still do. There's some things we don't know, and some people say, well, when we get to heaven, we'll know everything. No, not, we won't. If you're in my Sunday school class, we looked several weeks ago at the martyrs in heaven, I think in Revelation chapter 6. And in Revelation, if, it, if I'm right, in Revelation chapter 6, it's in right there somewhere, the martyrs in heaven are asking God questions. There's only one reason they would ask a question, and that's because they don't know the answer. So when you say, we get to heaven, we'll know it all, no, we won't. The Bible doesn't tell us that. The martyrs are still asking questions in heaven. Some things we don't know because God reserves some knowledge for himself. He is God. He has the right to do that. Sometimes we miss things as we read through Scripture because there are things that simply, uh, they're lost in translation, so to speak, from the Greek or the Hebrew to the English. But you know what? Sometimes we don't understand Scripture because we simply hadn't read enough. A few times when I've written explanations there to questions on the Bible app, I've said, as we'll see as we continue to read. The disciples didn't have the completed canon of Scripture. We have an advantage they didn't have. The best way to gain more understanding about the Bible is to read more of the Bible. Adrian Rogers says that the best way to understand the parts of the Bible you don't understand is to obey the parts of the Bible you do understand. He who has ears to hear, Jesus says, let him hear. Come to the Bible with an intent on trying to understand it as best you can. We should also approach the Bible, the second point, we should also approach the Bible, the Word of God, not only trying to understand it, but trying to understand its power. You know, the Word of God has the ability to change things. We haven't spent time going over uh, the types of soil that Jesus talked about, but, you know, as we looked at the seed, not all of it reached maturity. Not all of it bore fruit because some of it uh, says fell on the road and the birds ate it. Some of it fell where the dirt was too shallow and it withered away. Some of it fell in the thorns and the thorns choked it out. But some of it, Jesus said, fell on good ground and it grew and it yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. That would have blown the mind of Jesus' audience. Because in that day, the average um, seed to yield or seed-to-crop ratio, whatever, the average yield, that's the word I'm looking for. for. For most crops, the average yield was eightfold. Eightfold. You plant one seed, comes back eight times. Eightfold. Jesus says this seed he's talking about could have a yield that's a hundredfold. Some 60 some 30, even if it's at the low end, that's more than three times by my calculations. You can do that math. More than three times what their average was in that day. Well, they, they're probably sitting there saying, where can we get this seed? We need this seed. Where can we find it? It would have blown their mind. Let me tell you some things that I know about this seed that Jesus was talking about that that crowd didn't know. I know that according to the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture, because remember the seed is the Word of God, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. 
So you, we read through the Bible and you say, why do we need to know this? Because God thought we need to know it. All Scripture is profitable. For what? It's profitable, Paul says, for doctrine. That's what you need to know. It's profitable for reproof. That's telling you when you're in the wrong. It's profitable for correction. It's telling you how to right your wrong. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness, knowing how to live the way God wants you to live. You say, you know, I come to church every week, and I sit here and I listen to the sermon, and I still have trouble living the way I'm supposed to live. Well, you know, it's good to listen to the sermon, but are you putting the seed in your life yourself? Are you sowing some extra seed through the wheat? You get a bigger harvest. Hebrews 4, 12 says, The word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. But it gets even better. The more we look at the Scripture, the better Scripture gets. The 119th Psalm 105 says, Your word's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Brother Jeremy, I just don't know where to go. My life's such a mess. I just can't think straight, can't see straight. I don't know what's next. Well, the Word of God, the psalmist said, illuminates your path. Shows you which way to go. Have you studied this? John 17, 17, Jesus said, Your word is truth. That's from Jesus himself, talking to the Father. He says, your word is truth. There's a definite article there. Your word is the truth. It is not a truth. It is not your truth. It is the truth. We live in a day and age today where the society says, you can pick your truth. Whatever you want your truth to be, you pick your truth. You be whatever you want to be. You identify whatever you say, however you say you want to identify. Your truth is your truth. Well, let me tell you, this book don't care about your truth. This, this book cares about the truth. God cares about the truth. If, it, if, if whatever you got going on contradicts this book, if whatever you think is right contradicts, contradicts this book, what you got going on is a lie. This is the truth the only truth, and nothing but the truth. This is the truth. This is what we measure all truth by. If it contradicts this book, it is not the truth. My favorite passage of Scripture about Scripture, Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You notice how we, you look back over, even when we just look at American history, and we look at how these social fads have come and gone. And social progressivism has gotten worse and worse and worse. And you look at even just fairly recent, say recent history, you look at, say, the Clinton administration. Some of you in the building weren't alive then. You know, Bill Clinton signed the Defense of Marriage Act, saying, you know, in federal law, marriage was between a man and a woman. Of course, who are some of the biggest proponents of gay marriage today? Bill and Hillary Clinton. You know, time changes people. Time doesn't change this. Nothing changes this. The Word of God stands forever. That's some powerful seed. But see, what Jesus is telling here, The whole point of this parable is that this seed cannot impact your life 
unless you've prepared the soul right. Unless you've prepared your heart, this seed can't have its full impact on your life. We can read the Word of God, we might study the Word of God, and maybe we do that and we say, it just doesn't change me. If that's the case for you, you need to check the condition of your heart. Maybe there's some unconfessed sin that's causing your heart to be hardened. That doesn't have to be some, we think about unconfessed sin in our lives, saying, oh, I hadn't done any of that bad, bad stuff. Maybe it's some pride. Maybe it's that you have a relationship that needs to be healed between you and another brother or sister in Christ. Maybe there's some other junk in our lives that's crowding it out. We read this. We get up every morning and we do our little Bible reading for the day and we forget about it for a minute. Because we go on about our day and We never think back to our Bible reading from this morning. We never think back to what the Word of God says because all the other cares of life, like those thorns, choke it out. And it has no effect. Maybe we're just getting it at a surface level and it never takes root and it withers away when hard times come. Our earnest desire ought to be to pray the prayer of David in Psalm 51.10, when he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. He goes on to say in verse 16 of that psalm, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, These, O God, you will not despise. David said what God wants is a broken heart. A broken and contrite heart. He can work with that. You ever hear people say, well, God can't use me because I'm messed up. I'm broken. If you ever read the Bible, you find out God really doesn't use perfect people. (laughs) The only one he ever used, and that was Jesus Christ. Everybody else God ever used to do anything was somebody that was messed up. Somebody that was completely and totally broken. Before the farmer ever plants the first seed, first thing he's got to do is break the ground. If we're going to receive the word of God, the first thing we got to do is got to break the ground in our heart and in our lives. David cries out and says, my heart is broken, not in a lovesick way, in a repentant way. His heart is broken over the sin in his life. And he says, Lord, prepare my heart for planting. That's what he's saying. If a spiritual harvest doesn't sound exciting to you, again, you hadn't read much of the Bible. Because what's a spiritual harvest? Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. What does this grow in our lives when we live by? Love. Anybody want more love? Joy. Now, I know y'all are as happy as you want to be, aren't you? I'm not. I'd love, you know, hey, happier. That's better. Peace. Who wants, maybe I should ask for a raise, uh, 
show of hands, and we'd pray for you right now. Who doesn't want more peace in their life? We all want these things, don't we? Jesus says, the fruit of the harvest comes when the seed is sown and a heart that's ready to receive it. One last thing and I'm done. Verse 3. Behold, a sower went out to sow. Do you realize how much significance is in that verse? In that phrase? Behold. Listen to that. Behold, a sower went out to sow. The seed didn't make it to the ground by accident. The sower went out to sow. And do you know what he did? He sowed. What a trick question. The sower went out to sow. And he sowed. The sower wanted a harvest. And so he sowed. The sower wanted an increase. So he sowed. He could have sat there and looked at that bag of seed all day long. You know, in our modern day, you got all, you know, you may have all the writing there, all the stuff, information about the seed. I don't you could you could get on the extension service website and read all about the seed and the best time to plant it and the best time to do this and how much water it needs in the season and you could look at all this. He could have said, Man, that's some nice seed. That's probably the nicest bag of seed I've ever bought. You know how much money I spent on that seed? I'm just gonna put it up here on the shelf. Where I could that's a nice bag of seed. He'd have never gotten a harvest, would he? He could have said, man, look at that field. I've never plowed lines that straight. I wouldn't want to mess that up by walking all through it. He'd have never gotten a harvest. He could have studied all the variables. He could have looked at the weather today. He probably couldn't have back then. Get out his little weather app. If you're talking about a farmer today, when's the best day going to be to plant? Get out the almanac. Look at your social calendar. Is any of this going to interfere with my social calendar? He could have looked at all these things. But none of that's what we're told he did. We're simply told that the sower went out to sow. Where am I going with this? I heard one preacher say one time, a seed in the basket will not produce a harvest. You hear that? A seed in the basket will not produce a harvest. If we want this book to change our lives, we've got to sow the seed. If we want this book to change the lives of those around us, we've got to sow this seed. That means by living the way it tells us to live. By telling people what it says. If you want to have an experience that will change your life, we can't just talk about it. We can't just pray about it. We've actually got to sow the seed. This morning as we prepare for our invitation, I don't know where any of this leaves you this morning if you're saved. There may be a bunch of junk in your life, maybe some unconfessed sin, 
maybe just some things in your schedule that you need to get rid of because they're standing between you and your opportunity to spend time with God and reading His Word and in prayer. And Maybe this morning you just need to, where you are or in this altar, you need to pray and confess those things to God. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's talking to saved people when He writes that. Maybe this morning you need to clean your heart up. Maybe you need to pray the prayer. Uh, pray the prayer of David and say, create in me a clean heart, O God. If you've never been saved, you'd be like those folks sitting out on the hillside who just couldn't understand it. You're on the outside looking in and you say, well, I can read this and I can get some intellectual knowledge about what this is saying, but not doing anything here. You need to heed the words of the Apostle Paul In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, when he says, If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart God's raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And he goes on to say, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior this morning, would you give him that opportunity today? Would you accept him today? Whatever God's placed on your heart, let's stand and sing. Number 124.